In this last week, you saw that uh, there's two masters and, and really two slaves, two groups of people in the whole world. Uh, if you're here today, and I assume you are, <laughs> and you are one, one of those slaves. You're, 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 you bow to one of those masters. And we see that one of the masters is, is the master of sin, and the other is the master of righteousness. And all of us are slaves to one or the other. That's what Paul just told us. That you're here today, you're either a slave of sin, or you are a slave of righteousness. You're either in bondage to sin, and sin reigns over your life, or you are a slave to righteousness through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you see, it's the shed blood of our Lord that actually paid the price to redeem you and buy you out of slavery, so to speak. And make you one of his slaves, a slave of righteousness. And uh, when that happened, we've seen as we've gone through uh, the sixth chapter here, a radical transformation took place in your life. The, the moment you believed in Christ, things changed. That, that's Christianity. Things change. You trust Christ, things radically change. You become a new creature in Christ. And you're no longer a slave to sin, and now you become a slave to righteousness. And so your life now is free, as he told us, free indeed. But you're free from what? Sin as a Christian. And now we're, we're persevering in holiness. doesn't mean we're perfect. doesn't mean that we've, we've arrived yet. But we're not under the slavery anymore of sin dominating our life. And, uh, but here's the, here's the thing. There's still an enemy out there. Even though we're, we've been freed from the, from the plantation of, of sin, we, we still have an enemy. He wars against the flesh. Uh, the, we have the, the flesh, the wars against the spirit. And every one of us are tempted every day to sin. I mean, I, I don't know what you're going to do tomorrow, but I know this. You're going to sin. I don't think any one of us are going to make it through Monday without breaking somewhere in thought, word, or deed the law of God. No matter how hard we try, no matter how much we pray, no matter how much we, we, we strengthen ourselves spiritually, we sin. And, uh, and we're in a war. And there's a battle going on. Because we, we've been freed from slavery of sin. We don't want to sin anymore. We're not under its dominion anymore. But yet we still have that, that longing, that, that fleshly longing to go back to the spiritual plantation and start digging in the dirt of sin. And that's exactly where, where we find ourselves in regularly as Christians. And by the way, that spiritual battle, that spiritual warfare is going to continue until the day we what? Until we die. So we're, we're, we're in it for the long haul. Now, the question is, what do we do? We, we have to engage the enemy. We have to be involved in the battle. And we see that uh, God has helped us do that. He didn't just free us from slavery and say, by the way, you're on your own, but, but, but he's given us, we, we saw in Ephesians chapter 5, uh, a spiritual armor that we can put on to fight the good fight and be engaged in the battle for holiness. And I just want to read you the first piece of the armor that we see Paul listing in chapter 5, verse 14 of Ephesians, where he tells us to stand, having fastened the belt of truth. And there you see it. One of the things God has given us to strengthen us in the battle for holiness, 
the, the, the battle against sin is the belt of truth. He goes on that verse says, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And so what we're to do regularly is to buckle up our belt. Buckle up the belt of truth. And uh, what's the truth? Truth the word of God. What's the truth? The gospel of Jesus Christ. What's the truth? Really the sixth chapter of the book of Romans. And if we're going to be buckling ourselves up with truth regularly, to be strong, to engage the enemy and defend our, 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 our holiness in the sense of not falling into sin, we need to regularly bring the truth to, to our mind. I believe one of the greatest dangers we face as Christians is we forget some of the very basic truths of the Christian faith. We forget who we are. We forget who we were. We forget what God has done. We forget what we have become. We have forget. We have forgotten that uh, that uh, we have been freed from the slavery to sin. And here's the thing: if we don't engage the enemy by putting on the belt of truth and reminding ourselves every day who we are, where we came from, and what God's doing in our life today, we're going to be knocked down. We're going to fall into temptation. We're going to fall back into sin. And so this is one of the, de the defenses that God has given us, is to put on the belt of truth. Today Paul reminds us of what we've learned in the, throughout the sixth chapter, and it reminds us of some of the reasons why we should offer up all of our members, that we saw last time, as weapons of righteousness. What I'm going to encourage you to do is, if you look at the notes on the insert, you say, boy, Don, we're going to be here for a long time. Don't let that scare you. We're not, Lord willing. Uh, it's, it, 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 we're going to go through some of those points pretty quickly. But I did want you to just see how they, well, what, what breaks out underneath the, the two broad headings of uh, what we once were and what we've become, now what we've become. And what I'd like to do is, is encourage you to think about this. Take these truths from this passage Keep them in your mind regularly. In other words, understand them and preach to yourself these truths. We need to hear these truths every single day when the enemy attacks. Because if we forget where we came from and who we were, then we're quick to go right back into it again. And if we forget what God has done and who we are today, we don't realize the resources that God's given us to be able to defend ourselves against the evil one. Now notice that Ephesians 5.15, <clears throat> Paul says, this is the uh, uh, Revised Standard Version, he says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Uh, I, I do like the King James here, it says, uh, look circumspectly how you walk. And it, it, it's really walk with a 360 degree viewpoint. When you're walking the Christian walk, look where you're going. You're walking the Christian walk. Look to your sides. You don't want to be blindsided. But also, a circumspect walk will have a rearview mirror attached to your head, and you'll be able to look into it and see where you've been. That's important. And that's why we see here in, in, in this passage, we need to know who we once were before God saved us, those of you who are Christians who you were before God saved you 
And you must have that rear view understanding of that daily in your Christian life so that you don't want to turn around and walk right back in the muck and the mire of what God has brought you out of. Look back and what do you see? Well, verse 20 tells us when you look back from when we were slaves to sin. We look back and we realize, wow, I was a slave to sin before I came to the Lord Jesus Christ. Before I was saved, uh, I was in bondage to sin. Now, those are my B.C. days before Christ. And uh, sin reigned over my life. I had no desire to follow God. I was in bondage to the very sin that, 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 that encompassed me. And he says, you were also free in regards to righteousness. So not only were we slaves to sin and bondage to it, as we look back and look over our shoulder through the rearview mirror, we see that we were free to righteousness. And literally the idea there is one of uh, you, you, you were free from doing righteousness. You were free from being righteous because you were a slave to sin. You were free in the sense that you were not governed or controlled by righteousness. You had no connection to righteousness. As slaves to sin, you did not have the ability, the heart, the desire. There wasn't anything about you that, or even the demands of righteousness to fulfill them because you were slave to sin. So righteousness can make no demand over you. Why? Because as slaves, you do not have the desire or the ability to fulfill the laws and the demands of righteousness. So apart from, from Christ, every one of us, before we were saved, that's who we were. Slaves to sin, and we were, we were free from righteousness. A person who is not a Christian, who rejects the call to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, slave to sin. Free from doing the works of righteousness. And this is true of all non-Christians. Do you believe that? This, this was you before you trusted Christ. Do you believe that's who you were? This is, this is those of you here today who have yet to, to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You're, you're a slave to sin, and you're free from doing righteousness. You're, you, you, you're, not doing, you're not being righteous before God because you can't. Now, I know that there's many today who would hear something like that, and they would go, wait a minute. Are you saying that all the people that are outside of Christ are slaves to sin? That's all they know how to do? And they have no ability to do anything righteous before God? We talked a little bit about this last week. I want to dig a little bit deeper into it because I think it's a big issue today that we ought to look carefully at. Because there, there, there's those who would say, you know, it seems like there are a lot of ethical people out there. There's a lot of moral people that wouldn't be in church today and they wouldn't necessarily call themselves Christians. And that's true. There are a lot of moral people out there. In fact, there's even a lot of moral people that are in church on Sunday. They even set their clocks back so, so, so they could be here today. But they don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they would, they would lean on their ethics, they would lean on their moral life as being pleasing to God, not realizing they're a slave to sin and freed from the, from, the, from the righteousness of God. And so the moralist is the one who would say, well, you know, they might even say they believe in God. The moralist might be one that says, I, I live a fairly good life. I'm sure God's happy with me. I mean, I'm better than the other guy, the other gal, 
I love my neighbor. I practice the golden rule. I try to anyway. I mean, I, I'm, I'm spiritual. I even pray before my meals. And I, I take a shower once a day. So I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I clean up pretty well. I'm well-groomed. I'm well-mannered. I vote Republican. I mean, what else could you ask for, God? That's the moralist. That's the one that thinks they're all right with God. But what? They're a slave to sin. Because you see, outside of Christ, there is no righteousness. The only righteousness you have outside of Christ is self-righteousness. And you, never, you don't see your need to come to Christ on his terms. That's the moralist. And as appealing he might appear to those around him, he's not a Christian. Because he rejects the only one who can save him from his sin, take him out of the bondage of sin. He rejects the one who can only give him his righteousness and being imputed to him so he can have right standing with the Heavenly Father. He's the only one that can change the heart so that the heart is one of righteousness as well. So the one who rejects Christ's sacrificial death, the one that refuses to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who refuses to repent and turn from their sin, even though they are moralistic, even though they're ethical, even though they seem to be maybe even a good Christian, are without Christ, are slaves to sin, and are lost, and are free from righteousness. Why? Because they're trusting in themselves. And I might be talking to some of you here today. This might be, be you. That you're trusting in yourself rather than Christ and what he's done. And so you look at your life and you're, you're trying to live the good life and to, to be a, a good person, but you've never repented of your sins. You never stopped trying to be self-righteous. You never rested in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the Bible says in Romans 6, you're a slave. No matter how moralistic you are, you're a slave to sin. And so you're under the control of sin. I mean, think about this. Those of you who might be here today without Christ, but thinking you're okay, even your best deeds on your best day fall short of righteousness. Do you realize that? I mean, when, when the Bible says all of your righteousness are like what? Filthy rags. I mean, we know that verse. That's all of them. And so anything that's not done in faith... Anything that's not done for the glory of God, no matter how good they, they appear, are what? Filthy rags. It's self-righteousness. I mean, I even watch these people that give like big charitable donations, you know, and, and they, they, thousands and millions of dollars to this foundation or that foundation. Well, do you notice how they give it? With a check the size of the screen here almost. And they haul this check out, you know, and they proudly give it to the person they're donating it to. What? For their own glory's sake. Because it's not for the glory of God. And so we have to be careful when it comes to moralism or, or ethical living and thinking and confusing that with Christianity. You know, in Romans 10.1, we see the Jews uh, in, in Paul's day fit this, this moralistic pattern. He says, Brothers, my heart is desire and prayer to God is for them, the Jews that they might be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to, the right, to God's righteousness. 
So they're so busy going around doing their own righteousness, they couldn't see their need for the righteousness of God. And they might have been zealous, they might have been religious, but they were lost and they were slaves to sin. This is what moralistic people do. You see him in Luke chapter 18. You see the, the parable there of, of the tax collector and the Pharisee. And, and you got them both praying out in public. And, and, and of course, the, the tax collector is over there weeping and, and over his sin and crying out to God. And then who's, who's pounding on his chest? It's the Pharisee, the religious one, the moralist, the ethical person. And he's pointing his finger over at the one who, who is, is the poor tax collector. He's, well, I'm not like that guy. I've got it together. Self-righteousness. God, I thank you that I'm not like those other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like that tax, tax collector guy over there. I fast twice a week. I give tithes to all that I give. Yet. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You see, a slave to sin is just that, a slave to sin. And uh, it's a person who has not come to the end of themselves yet. Because when you come to the end of yourself and your self-righteousness, then you flee to the righteousness that can only be found in Christ and through faith in him. Who has not brought you yet to, to hunger and thirst after righteousness? Matthew 5, 6. So, uh, if you look back, you look in the rearview mirror over your shoulder or where you've been, uh, reminding yourself of that. Uh, you, you remind yourself that you were a slave to sin, number one. You remind yourself that looking back before Christ, you were free from righteousness. Oh, but he's not done yet. As you look back through that rearview mirror and, and look into your past life, you see a life that was fruitless back then. Verse 21. But what fruit were you getting at that time? from the things of which you are now ashamed. And so you look back on your life and you reflect on, on who you were before Christ. And you have to conclude, if you're, if you're looking at it through redeemed eyes, that, those were fruitful time, fruitless times in my life. There was no fruit at all. There never is when you're a slave to sin. I mean, Paul looked back and did the same thing. He was looking through the rearview mirror of his own life, Philippians 3.8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of the knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. And I look back and I count everything that I did up before I came to Christ as what? Rubbish. That's a UK word, a British term, rubbish. But if you want a Wyoming ranch term, dumb. That's what it is. Here, look back, it's dumb. In other words, it, it was fruitless. It was worthless. No benefit. It was vain. It was empty. So you look back on your life before you were, you were in Christ. What do you remember? What did you do? How fruitful was all those things you did back in those days? You know, sometimes, you know, we, we romanticize the past. And we look back and think, boy, I remember those days in college. I remember those days living at home and how... how Everything was just wonderful, exhilarating, joyful. It's an illusion. If you look at it through redeemed eyes, your past, you should see a life that was fruitless. Mark 8.36 says, For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? You realize that you know it was fruitless. So much of sin, when you're involved in it, seems pleasurable, doesn't it? I mean, even to the degree, I would think it even is pleasurable to a point. 
Moses looked back on his life. He looked through the rearview mirror. In Hebrews 11.25, we see choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. That's what he saw in the rearview mirror. Oh, I look back and I, it's the fleeting pleasure of sin. And by the way, that's how sin is. Those young people here who are yet to come to Christ, you know, you're tempted with, with, with sin in your life. That's exactly what sin is. The drugs, sexual impurity, all the temptations that come to you in life. And, and, and initially it sounds and seems like it'd be what? So pleasurable. Just get stoned once. But for a season, for a short period of time. Have you ever seen a meth addict that's been around, you know, for uh, doing meth for 10, 10 years, let's say? I was thinking about the first time that a meth addict, you know, was tempted to do drugs and get high on, on meth. And I'm sure the first time it was pleasurable. And that, that was the temptation, and then that was the promise. But then what happened? It was only pleasurable for what? A season until you're hooked. It doesn't take much. Then you're hooked. And then you start seeing the effect it has on your life is because now, now the price. And how am I going to supply myself? And now do I have to start stealing? And now I'm in jail. And now I'm out of jail. Now I'm in a rehab center. And then you start looking at your face in the mirror and you see your, you know, your, your cheeks sink in. Your teeth fall out. And you look at yourself and say, what happened? Well, it was pleasurable for what? For a season. But then the sin sinks in deep. You begin to see and feel the consequences of sin in your life. And there's no fruit. You know, Augustine said, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And so that's the only place you're going to find true peace, true, true, true joy, true love, is through the fruit that comes out of the Christian life. Galatians 5, you see the fruit of the Spirit there. The fruit that comes out is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So, you look at the rearview mirror, what do you see? Look at your life. You should see a life that was empty and fruitless and full of vanity. And so the question would be, as you're recounting the past, you're being tempted in the the present, why in the world would I want to go back to that? You see, when the temptation comes, that's the response. You're reminding yourself of the past. You're reminding yourself of the, the fruitlessness of that life, the, the bondage of that life, and then being free from righteousness. Why would I want to go back to that? And if that's not enough, here's one more, he says. It brings shame. You look back on your past life and before you trusted Christ, and what do you see? Well, you should see from a Christian perspective, looking back, a life of shame. What you did, how you lived your life before Christ, should be considered today shameful. In other words, such a transformation has taken place in your life, such a radical change has taken place, that uh, when you look back at all the sins that you thought were so pleasurable back in those days, you go, I'm ashamed by what I did. That's one of the great marks of salvation, by the way. If you want to test whether you're a Christian or not, take this test. Look back on your life, look at the sin in your past life, and ask yourself, does that bring shame to you? Because if you're relishing it, if you're glorifying it in your mind, if, if, if you're reliving it in the present, 
then you haven't reached a point where God has shown you how shameful your past sinful life was. I mean, you look back at your childhood and you're thinking, well, it was me and mom and dad and their kids and brothers and sisters and how, how wonderful it all was. But as, a, as a, an adult now who's in Christ looking back, you know, if God would bring to your memory being disobedient to your mother or dishonoring your father or in any way, you know, creating division, argument, and fighting in the home. You know, rather than saying, oh, that was, that was the good old days. No, those were the shameful days. The shameful days of breaking the law of God as a small child. And it goes to every other area of your life. You can look at your college life and say, well, I was just sowing my seeds back in those days, and it was a lot of fun. And you have been brought to see the shamefulness of the sins of your past life. Because now through redeemed eyes, you look back and you go, I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed by what, by what I did, what I thought, what I said. But there's even one more thing here as you look back. That is, it, it was a life that ends in death. For the end of those things is death. And by the way, this is the grand conclusion for those who <coughs> find themselves uh, before Christ. You live a sinful life, you fruitless life, enslaved to sin, free from righteousness, and now you see a life that if you would have continued, you would have died. It would have brought eternal damnation to your soul. Uh, physical death, yeah. I mean, we all die because of sin through Adam. Spiritual death, yes. We, we all die spiritually as well. But I believe this is more eschatological. This is speaking of the second death that's yet to come when we stand before God on, and, give, and give on Judgment Day. And he casts us off into the lake of fire. That death, that eternal death, is a consequence of our sin in the past. So, do you see how by preaching these things to ourselves regularly, reminding ourselves of these things regularly, by taking out the rearview mirror and looking back, do you see how this should bring us to a point where we're tempted to sin? Wait a minute! No way do I want to go back to that again. I've been freed. God's freed me. How could I go back to the muck and the mire and the depth and the fruitless life and everything that goes with it? I'm, I'm out of there. Such so empty and in vain. Now, I'm assuming the tempter has come to you at this point and, and he's already tempted you in some area of sin in your life and, and now you're interacting with, with the tempter that's that's tempting you to go back into sin, back to the slave market of sin, and, and, and you're, you're, you go through this list, I can't do that, he won't, be, he won't be content with that. Because what it'll do is come back at you like this, but just one sin. Just one. Oh, we're not talking about going back to slavery, he says. We're not talking about going in head over heels into it. Just this once. We'll be Okay. You can ask for forgiveness. But remember this. It was one sin in the garden. One sin of Adam that brought down the whole human race. It's one sin that brought death into this world. And so it is in your life. When the enemy comes, ah, it's just one sin. Yeah, but you can say, listen, that one sin is a sin against my Lord. King of kings, the Lord of lords. And, and I will not sin against him. And we've already seen earlier in, in Romans 6... That one sin is always the beginning of the downward spiral, right? That's the lie the enemy brings. There is no such thing as just one sin. Let's go to the second point here, and that is, 
what we are now. So we're not looking in the rearview mirror. We're looking at, God has saved me. Here I am as a Christian. Now, let's look at myself, verse 22. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. This is who you are. But now, I, like, I think this word is one of the, my favorite theological terms. Is uh, I don't know if it's in a theological dictionary or not, but the word but is so good because it's a word that tells us so much. And Paul uses it so often. It's one of those words that when Paul brings it up, we, we put our foot to the brake and we slam down the, the brake and, and put the skids on because we know a change is about to take place. And now he's going to just, but that was then and this is now. He's going to give us a, a description of our post-salvation existence. He said that you have been set free. That's who we are now. That we're in Christ from sin. And you have become slaves to God. That's who you are. By the way, let me, those of you who are Christians here today, just kind of do a quick, just a quick review of your own testimony in your own mind of how you came to Christ, your, your story of salvation. Does your story of salvation, does your testimony have the words, but now in it? That's important. Because if it wasn't, you know, that's who I was and I believe in Jesus Christ and I'm going to heaven. Now every testimony... Every true story about how God worked in your life through grace should have a but now. There's a change. A change has taken place. And, uh, and you're living post-change. You're in the middle of that, living out that change right now. And that, that's, those are words of transformation. Those are words of everything becoming new. Those are words where the blood of Christ has redeemed you and purchased you and bought you out of sin and slavery to it price has been paid. And so under who you are now, you've been set free from sin. Right? You're no longer a slave to it. Uh, you're free. It no longer reigns over you. You're no longer a slave to God. You're a slave to God, now not a slave to sin. And so, But now the shackles have been removed from our feet and our hands. We're no longer in chains to sin. We've been made free to serve the living God. We're slaves to Him. There's been a change of masters. Now those of you who profess faith in Christ, there's that but now in your testimony. Can you see that after that but now, can you see the change of life that God has brought into your life? Has there been that radical transformation? Uh, especially in relationship to sin and the delights of your heart. Do you, have you, do you recognize that? Uh, or are you see yourself as the same person as you were? You must have a, a but now. You know, First Corinthians six nineteen tells us you are not you're not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify the God in your body. That's the but now. You're you're no longer a, a slave to sin. Now you live to the glory of God. And then we see next that the other area of of, of the but now is spiritual fruit. Before, your life was fruitless, but now your life is what? Full of spiritual fruit. That's who you are in Christ today. A change has taken place. You're no longer barren, lifeless, dead. You're alive to Christ. You see in Matthew 7, 17, our Lord talks about two trees. There's, there's the good tree and there's the bad tree. And the good tree gives forth what? Abundance of good fruit. And the bad tree gives forth what? 
bad fruit. So if you're in Christ, you're connected to the good, good tree is Jesus, you're vitally connected to him, and you will bear good fruit. And, and, and that might be looked at as godliness, the indwelling of the Spirit in your life, producing uh, the fruit of the Spirit in your life that we just looked at a minute ago. But notice what he says here. The fruit you get, here's the next point, leads to sanctification. Uh, hagiosmos. It's, it, 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 it's the word the root where we get holiness from. You know, we see people called saints. What, what are saints? These are holy people. These are people of God. And God has sanctified us. He set us aside from that sin. And he set us aside unto himself. And we're progressively becoming more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the fruit of sanctification. And then fifthly, we see that leads to what? Spiritual life. Eternal life. Now we have eternal life. By, this, this, by way of reminder, this is not the length of your life. This is the quality of your life. Um, people in hell have eternal life as far as the length goes. They're going to face the torment of God forever, ever, and ever, ever. It's, it's eternal. They're not going to pass away and just go off into nothing. But on the other hand, we see here that uh, those who are in Christ have eternal life. It's the quality. It's God living in us and his life in us. And we're going to be in his presence forever and ever. That's, this is coming. This is future. I don't know what that means. I've, I've, I probably spend more time meditating on this aspect of the Christian life than probably many others. That What's heaven like? You know, I read the passages and try and give images in my mind. And, and I know it's a delight, and I know it's a joy, and I know it's a presence of God. And I, I know that I won't, there'll be no more sin and no more tear. I know all those things, and I'll see Christ face to face. This is the future. This is where eternal life will lead, to an eternity with God. All I know, it's going to be great, right? It's really going to be great. And if you're in Christ, you have eternal life. You have it right now. So, here you are. You're tempted. And you're tempted to go into sin again. You've been redeemed. You've been purchased out of a slavery of sin. You've now been freed. You're now a slave to Christ. And you're also a slave to righteousness. And the tempter comes to take you back. Back to the spiritual plantation to start digging in the dirt and the muck of your prior life. And one of the, one of the weapons God's given you is what? This very belt of truth. And you remind yourself and preach to yourself who you once were. Remember who you once were. I was a slave to sin. I was separated from righteousness. I spiritually was fruitless and shameful and spiritually dead. How can I go back? And look who I am now. Look what God has done today. I've been set free from sin. I'm a slave to God. I have spiritual fruit. I'm being sanctified. I have eternal life. Why would I even think about going back into the muck and the mire of the plantation? But it doesn't stop there. He gives us a summary in verse 23. He closes this chapter with, with a well-known verse. How many of you memorized uh, Romans 6.23? A couple of you have. Good. Of course, Dave has. He's memorized the whole New Testament, right? At least the book. Yeah, how, many, how many in Romans have you got memorized now? Six or eight? Five. Five, okay. But you still have 623? Okay. So you only have 22 more verses to learn. In. But the summary, 
Paul closes, I think, with one of the great verses of the Bible. It's one that many of you not only have memorized, but if you haven't memorized Romans 6.23, purpose this week to memorize Romans 6.23 and come back next week with it memorized. Because I think you'll, you'll use this over and over again in your Christian life. Not only is it a summary of the sanctifying work that God's doing in our life, that summarizes everything we've seen in Romans chapter 6 up to this point, but also is a great gospel passage you can just share with others about how to find their way to Christ. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is what? Eternal, Eternal life. Uh, through what? Christ Jesus, our Lord. So you might not be able to, to learn all these points that we just went through in who we were and who we are just a minute ago. We looked at all the sub-points. I don't know if I can memorize all those every day and preach myself all those points. Well, if you can't, you can summarize it all up and just preach to yourself every day, Romans 6.23, because it's a summary. It's really a, just a very brief summary of all that we've just seen. And so Paul closes with a reminder. There's two positions. We've seen that, right? Two positions in life. We're all in one or the other. And by the way, if you read through the New Testament, you'll see how many times there, there's only two options to all the way through the Christian, Christian life. Either Christian or you're what? Non-Christian. Is there anyone in between Christian? No. One or the other. There's only two masters. One master is sin, the other is righteousness. Is there an in-between master? No, that's it. There's only two. There's two paths that you can walk on. There's the freeway of life that leads to where? Destruction. And then there's that little narrow pathway of righteousness that goes off through the gate of Christ that leads to life. But there's only two roads. I mean, it's not like the, the grid system of the spiritual life is like this. There's a broad road and there's a narrow road. Only two. There, there's two kingdoms. There's a kingdom of what? Light and a kingdom of darkness. There's, there's two destinies. There's a destiny of life and a destiny of death. And that's it. You look through the New, the, the, the New Testament. And we see here two masters, sin and God. Two masters, you're slave to one. Two masters. And by the way, you become a slave to sin at birth. And you become a, a slave to God at the new birth. So each birth, the physical birth brings us into slavery to sin, but the new birth, being born again, brings us into slavery with God. Only two. And so let's, let's quickly look at this and we'll wind this up. Uh, notice that the two masters each each pay two different wages. Uh, the master for sin in your life, if you're not a Christian, he, he pays you for what you do. Uh, by the way, the word here for wages is the same word that's used other places to talk about what a to describe what a uh, an army soldier receives from the general for, for his duty, or sometimes it's, it's translated rations. But you get what you deserve. You get from your master sin what 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 you deserve, what you've earned uh, by breaking the law of God. Every sin, every evil thought, every evil deed, you were working and working and working. 
earning and earning and piling up more and more debt to be paid and the, and, and the price that was paid for your work of sin is death physical, spiritual, second death yes to all you know I hear people say how could a loving God send anybody to hell what kind of a loving God would do anything like that how terrible and usually when they're pointing their finger at God for that they're failing to point their finger where it really needs to be pointed and that is to themselves in their own heart you see if anyone goes to hell and receives the eternal wrath of almighty God it's because they have earned it they have done their work they have been paid their just rewards for what they have done and what they've done is sin against a holy God and the wages for sinning and breaking the law of God is death and they've earned it and God's given them their fair re- return for their labors what about those who have trusted in Christ what about those of us who have been freed from the slavery of sin and, and, freed from, and are now slaves to righteousness look what he says but the free gift if, you're a, if your master is God if at, your, your master is righteousness it's not wages you get you get a gift and notice he put free and it's a free gift God is the free gift of God is eternal life and it's in Christ Jesus our Lord Again, there's another theological term there called but. But the free gift of God is eternal life. We're no longer slaves to sin. We've been freed by the blood of Christ. And uh, there's a verse that I I looked at this last week that just kind of jumped out at me. I never even gave much thought to it until I began to think about more of it this week. And that is Colossians 2.14. Listen to what Paul says here. Isn't this a beautiful picture of the atoning work of Christ on the cross? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Now think about that. What they would do, and they did this with Jesus, if you were a criminal and you're going to be crucified, they'd write down your crimes on a piece of paper. This is the debt you owe to society. And we're going to nail it to the cross right above your head. Now this is the king of the Jews, written on the cross and so that's the picture by canceling the record of debt that stood against us that's all of our sins and the legal demands for each one of those sins is the demand of death you break the law you die but look what happened the good news is he set this aside by nailing it to the cross and the beauty there is that all of our sins the record of our sins all that shame and the guilt that we had All all the wages we earned were nailed to the cross and Christ paid for them all by his shed blood. Some of us have a longer rap sheet than others. But we all have a long one, don't we? It was nailed there. If you're in Christ, the blood of Christ, the death of Christ, paid for those sins. And the gift here is not working. It's, It's just simply a gift. And I think it's a free gift. I... It's interesting, he wants to highlight that and emphasize it's not just a gift, it's a free gift. I'm trying to think of any gifts that aren't free gifts, but I know we all try, when someone does something good to us and then we, they give us a gift, we feel like we have to do what? We'll give them a gift back. We just, we're not content just to receive the gift. Well, we will give them a gift. But no, this is a free gift. There's no giving a gift back. And we see this is, you receive the gift of eternal life. 
John 17, 3, that's knowing God and having God in you and being with the Lamb forever in heaven, delighting in Him, being given a crown of righteousness, where there be no more sin, and no more death, no more tears, but it begins right now, and we're experiencing it today, eternal life, a foretaste. And it's all through Christ as we conclude this. This isn't something you can do. A gift has to come from God. And, and the only reason why it can be received by us is because it's in Christ. He paid the penalty. And so, what I see here is a need that if, if you're on this side of the but now, that is, you're a slave to sin. You've never come to Christ. To be on this side, we receive the free gift of everlasting life. You must come to Christ. You must turn turn from your life of sin, turn to the arms of the of the loving Savior, and He freely gives eternal life. And for those of you who are Christians here today, let's just remember this battle that's going to be going on this week, uh, the rest of our lives. It's a battle for holiness. It's a battle for for, uh, for over sin, mortifying the deeds of the flesh. Here's just one thing you can do. Cinch up the belt of truth. Preach to yourself regularly who you were. Preach to yourself regularly, but now who you are. You were slaves. You were separated. You were spiritually fruitless. You were shameful. You were, you were spiritually dead. But now you've been set free. You're slaves to God. You're, you have fruit in your life. You're sanctified. Being sanctified and you're spiritually alive. So who in the world, in the right spiritual mind, would want to go back to the plantation? Back and get in the mud and the muck and the mire of sin after all that God has done for us. That should cause us to stop, put a butt right here in the middle of the uh, sermon, and, and give thanks. And we have an opportunity to worship Him throughout this morning. Let me close with the words of Paul. So now present your members as slaves of righteousness unto holiness. And Father, we close there, looking forward to the next chapter, Lord, of this work of sanctification you're doing in all of our lives. Lord, if we've peeked ahead, we realize that we realize this is not a life of perfection. But the battle goes on, it went on in the life of the Apostle Paul as we see him wrestling in the flesh and also knowing what he must do to live a life of obedience to you. Father, we thank you for your word. Could there be one or more here today without Christ? Still slaves to sin. Lord, may they hear today the liberating call of the gospel to come to Christ, to forsake their wicked ways and leave behind their life of sin. And come to the one who's paid the price, who shed his blood, who bore the wrath, the Lord Jesus Christ. And make them your slaves of righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen.